welcome to the Stay Loyal Podcast, where we seek to find objective truths about specific topics with experts in those fields. In this episode, Dr. Steve McBride and I will be discussing individuality, consciousness, morality, and the current state of the human psyche. Dr. McBride is a practicing veterinarian and has a strong, strong background in physics as well. He introduced me to mindfulness a couple years ago and which has had an extremely positive impact on my life. We also go in depth about the lack of reasoning and critical thinking skills in academia within the past decade. We end the episode by discussing free will and the afterlife on which we have opposing views on. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. Words on the exit, oh, police no. car was there, you know. Dang. So. Like, oh, okay, well, the exits might be just a little bit slippery. <laughs> but that's a typical Michigan driver, right? True, you know, we true. take off and forget. Like, every year, you think we know that yeah. it's going to be slippery out there, and yet we but take we off. we just and, all forget. Yeah. But yeah, so how has things been with you since uh, the past two years? You know, it's, well, it's been interesting, I think, for everybody, right? Yeah, um, I forgot about COVID. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably the biggest impact... Uh, has been on our business so yeah uh, you know you're probably aware of the crazy uh, change in veterinary medicine for sure so with the whole curbside pickup and yeah. all that stuff yeah well and so we were already heading into a little bit of a veterinary shortage you know relative to the number of pet owners prior to covid so Interesting. You know, was, was, how did that happen well it, it it was just, you know, like the, there's always that natural ebb and flow of the balance between animals that need yeah. help and mm-hmm. people that are there to provide it. True, true. And so it was, and you also got the baby boomers, you know, yep. just kind of like getting ready to retire. And that's a yep. huge group of mm-hmm. veterinarians. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit. Yes. And so several things happened. Uh, the ba- Some of the baby boomers said, I'm out of here. That's enough. You know, I'm done. There's a lot of uh, corporate buyouts of veterinary practices, you know, so that accelerated a lot of it. It became much more inefficient to do veterinary medicine because of curbside practice and COVID restrictions and all that sort of thing. Um, and then people started buying pets because they were home, right? Nothing else to do. Um, they also started looking at their pets for the first time because they were home with nothing else to do. So you know, there's this increased demand and decreased ability to meet that demand. And then um, you know, with all the, the government relief programs and things like that, mm-hmm. cash flow and families on average is very good right now, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. So there's more available cash, so they want more services. Uh, and there's a very set limit of new graduates mm-hmm. coming out of veterinary school. Mm-hmm. The same is holding true for veterinary technicians. So right now we're in this uh, interesting phenomenon where the, we simply can't keep up. Mm-hmm. There's no, we can't even keep up with our own clients, let alone bringing on new clients. You know, so it's like a six week wait mm-hmm. to get in if you're a new client. Mm-hmm. and so you don't want to burn your staff out, you know. You don't want to overwork them. Um, you're trying to meet this demand. Uh, so it's it's been it's been an interesting change. I've never seen anything like it in my career. That's that's crazy. But Just, it is. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's a great time for a new veterinarian getting into veterinary mm-hmm. medicine because they they can't fail, right? <laughs> 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 there's, there's 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 no downside. But it. Um, Did you see a lot of like anxious uh, clients just worried in general about? Just yeah. coming into the practice, not being able to see the animals. Um, so we, to do yeah, a lot of stresses like that. So yeah. there's the the pet owner that doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, oh my gosh, you took my pet from the car. Yep. You know what's happening mm-hmm. in there. Um, and honestly, the pets actually did better. It's funny. I the agree. Pet, well, you know, you make the pet <laughs> yeah, very yeah, medicine, yeah. so you know how the pet away from their owners, like mm-hmm. the kid away from the parent, right? Yep. They're mm-hmm. suddenly much more behaved, and and we saw that time and time again. 
Um, but then we started seeing the phenomena. So, so we aren't, aren't curbside anymore. We, you know, for quite a while now, have allowed clients into the exam room. Mm-hmm. Um, and for quite a while, we were actually uh, without masks, uh, except for if the client came in with a mask, True. we'd put one on yeah. just to, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, when did you start doing that? That was kind oh of... gosh. That would have been uh, several months ago. Okay, We've good, actually yeah. gone back to masking now, just now, with the okay. latest wave. Yeah. Um, we're not requiring mm-hmm. you know, clients the clients to do it. Yeah. But during that that transition, um, you know, as it, this became more of a political issue yes, than a medical issue, yeah. and so it was not unusual to have the obnoxious client. You know, mm-hmm. well, I don't have to wear a mask. Yeah. You know, why do I have to wear a mask? Mm-hmm. Well, you don't have to. You can wait in your car. You yeah. Know, that's fine. Yeah, that's always a tough conversation with everybody. But I always like, believe that if it's if it's a private-owned business, then <laughs> follow the rules or well, find somewhere else. Right. You know, and I understand like um, there are there are you know, inefficiencies of mask, and then there are good reasons for to, to wear a mask. Uh, but then again, like if you're going going walking down the street, I don't want you to tell you to wear a mask. You're no. walking outside. But no. if you're going into somebody's private practice. Or if you're an employee at a private practice, mm-hmm. you gotta abide by the rules, you know. And that's that's kind of how I see it um, in terms of just from the business standpoint. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I mean, I've had I actually worked at VCA Animal okay. Hospital for two years um, after Cascade. So mm-hmm. I started I start I got employed the day before COVID hit. Oh geez. So it was it was <laughs> the wildest time <laughs> to start to start at a job um, because I heard. I heard about the coronavirus in China that was spreading. Sure. Uh, because my parents still live in India, so oh, they were okay. they were talking about this crazy thing happening. Um, and then I was like, ah, it's not gonna come here. Right. Uh, Something happening way over on the yeah, other side of the world. Yeah. And next thing you know, someone's infected in the states. Everybody's still like just chatting. There's right, no there's right. no there's no action taking place. And then um, I was actually at one of my friend's house, uh, and he got a notification from college saying that everybody had to pack up and go home. And I was like, whoa, what is <laughs> happening? <laughs> and But the day before is when I got the, uh, the employment, um, uh, I, I guess, acceptance. So mm-hmm. I, started my, I started my job on the first day, and on the first day, um, the management came to me, and they were like, hey... You know, um, we're downsizing, so if you want to go home today, you can go home early. And I was like, okay, I'll go home today. Um, but ever since then, it was, they cut down doctors, they cut down staff, they asked many people to stay back, and it was wild. But they had me on, which I'm very grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just kept me on because I was new for the extended uh, period of time. And and although I worked at Cascade, it in terms of dealing with clients, in this situation mm-hmm. was totally different. I had to learn how to use the phones right. and talk to them over the phone, get all the history, um, and then go get the pet and then come back. And it was wild wearing all the PPE. Yeah. It, it felt like I was in a movie at, so, at, at, times, at it, times. It felt like Contagion, right? Yeah. I was about to say, <laughs> when I watched that movie, when I watched that in 2013, I was like, ah, it's just another cool, you know. Right, science movie. fiction. Yeah, science fiction movie. And then I watched it again. <laughs> I wanted to pull my hair out, even though I don't have any hair. But <laughs> and it was, that movie is so similar. It just drives me nuts. The parallels are fascinating. And how how similar things kind of took place mm-hmm. in terms of in that movie and in terms of what's happening right now. It almost makes it seem like, I don't know. I don't. I. I can't even. I can't even describe because it's so similar. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, that's weird, but yeah. It, it made it very interesting. Yeah. So when, and we were in that same situation where we didn't know what was happening, True. you know, when it first happened. And uh, we made the decision not to lay anybody off. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, okay, like, the only people that, that did and went on unemployment were like the groomers because they couldn't work. They just, you know, they were forbidden to work by the, by the law. Mm -hmm. And so we said, well, we're going to keep everybody on and see what happens. And as it turned out, it, it worked out well. I mean, mm -hmm. so we had those initial down month or two, you know, where nobody knew what was going on. Everybody's sure. afraid to come out. Yep. Uh, but then it just started getting crazy, you know, and you couldn't get enough help because mm -hmm. uh, either people were afraid to work or, or they were being paid to stay home or, you yeah. know, it was this odd dynamic. So it's it's an interesting time to be alive, for sure. And how how is it looking at looking like right now? Since you know, I know unemployment stopped a couple months ago, mm -hmm. but before that, everybody was just staying home and you know chilling and not. I mean, there was so much employment shor shortage, or the whole country, like, right? And nobody could find employees to work. Um, my brother-in-law owns a home improvement company. Mm -hmm. He can't find anybody to work for him. And before that, he had so many employees just working, you know, and now he just, he's just having a hard time. And, and that to me just says that America has a good system of taking care of their people. <laughs> you know, it, it, it just blows my mind just coming here as an immigrant and then mm. watching and seeing how the country does take care of their people um, in comparison. I mean, people always complain about how things aren't right and you know you do see things that aren't right but at the same time you just see how much and how how much wealth America does have in terms of giving back to their people although it does come back to, you know the government does take a lot of your money sure, <laughs> sure. from you um, you know there's the government is good enough to give back to the people and that's something I, I, I appreciate all the time when I think about this country um, yeah I mean I think overall we're a very generous com country yes, we um, definitely I mean, are. I, I, Certainly, it runs the gamut, um, but you know, if you look at the longer time span and you look at how good we have it nowadays, mm -hmm. I mean, over a century ago, True. or a thousand years ago, you know, or two thousand. I mean, it's a wonderful time to be alive. Yes, you know, we, we could sit and talk like this and have you know thousands of people listen to us. True, um, remarkable. I mean, just absolutely phenomenal. Who would have thought that? I wouldn't have thought that in high school. Yep. Like, it, there's, it, it wouldn't have even crossed my mind that such a thing could be possible. In terms of technology, how, how has things expanded since you were a young person? You know, uh, so probably, obviously, I would say the internet changed mm -hmm. things more than anything else. What so was that like? Because I was a very young kid when that started to become a big deal. So I was a physics major when I was yes, in I high school. Yes, I remember you telling me that, yeah. Uh, when I was in college, when I first mm -hmm. entered college. And, um, and we learned computer programming, mm -hmm. and we learned, we went to a uh, University of Notre Dame that was where I actually did my undergraduate and so we would type out the little cards you know you had punch cards and mm -hmm. each card was a command and you'd have stacks of them and then you would wait for your time slot to come available to drop all your cards into the card reader and that would program the mainframe computer and that which was you know housed in a, in a full building and so then you would go to a terminal and see how your program ran and the terminals weren't you know like the like a screen. Mm -hmm. It was a printout. Yep. It was just just a, a like a typewriter, you know, a teletype machine. And so you'd look at the output, and if you had a mistake, you go do it again. Then you got to go back and oh. find out like what card did you make the error <laughs> yeah, on? You know, make yeah. your new card, things like that. Wait for a time, drop it in. I mean, it was 
cumbersome. Yeah. And, and yet it was fascinating at the same time because you had this machine that could do things. You know, you could give it commands and it would do things. And it was, it was just like, wow, this is really cool. Mm -hmm. um, but still, if you wanted to learn something, you had to go to the library or the bookstore and pick something up. Um, you couldn't, you know, just search for an answer you like want, you can yeah. nowadays. You didn't have the world at your fingertips. I mean, as a kid growing up, you know, I was I was very curious. I'm still an extremely curious individual. I think that's I think that's uh, something that we should encourage in everyone. Yep. Mm -hmm. But you couldn't fulfill your curiosity as quickly as you can. True. Now I can't. If, you know, mm -hmm. if we were forced to go back to those times, I can't yeah. imagine the frustration we oh, would feel. I, I bet if kids nowadays were yeah. thrown back in time, I think they would lose their minds without their gadgets <laughs> and Google and Alexa and whatnot. It, yeah, so now the fact that you can talk to your computer and get your answers, it, it's like, so, you know, of course, we grew up watching Star Trek, you know, and, and uh, you would get, you know, you'd see these sorts of things. They'd talk to the computer, the computer would talk back. And you're like, oh, that's very cool science fiction. Um, and now you can do that. You yep. know? So, yeah, I mean, what a rapid change. And, and you think that the, the speed of change in technology uh, is constantly advancing. So what's it going to be in 20 years from now? Hundred years from now, uh, hard to imagine. I don't think we can even get our minds wrapped around something that big. Yeah. In terms of, I mean, people are people always wanted to see flying cars, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's something that everybody expected to see in 2025. I guess we still haven't had flying cars yet, but I definitely think we will have it sometime in the next 20 years. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. So I've seen uh, prototypes. You yep. know, I've seen videos of prototypes mm -hmm. and people using them. I have no doubt we would already have flying cars if it wasn't for the government. Mm -hmm. So government regulations stifle industry, stifle innovation, um, you know, they're just a natural break on everything. And if we yeah. didn't have some of that, oh, we'd have flying cars. Yeah, I mean, I feel like China's probably has flying cars right they now. They probably do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, was, I was watching this video where they showed um, how quickly China builds things. Mm -hmm. It is fascinating. They they were talking about the whole COVID issue where they built bunkers for people to um, like a quarantine bunker when that mm -hmm. everything started. They built I don't know it was a huge building size of like a couple malls, um, but they built that in, tw in like under like thirty days mm -hmm. and didn't even use it because they just got over it pretty quickly. You know, and they went back to having concerts in Wuhan and you know, sure. all these wild things. And I'm just like, how and the rest of the world is just suffering. <laughs> you throw enough money and enough people at it, you get things done in a hurry, right? Yeah. Uh, and that infrastructure in China is just, they're, they're going for it. Dude. They are. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that will ultimately, if they don't change, will ultimately strangle them is they don't have the freedom. And, mm -hmm. uh, it's certainly not like it used to be. You know, I mean, they've got way, way more freedom than they did. Yep. Um, but as long as they insist on trying to have a centrally planned economy or central control yeah, the, the CCP, over the economy, yeah. you just can't, you can't do that with the efficiency that you can do in a true market economy. True. Um, and now we are not any longer a true market economy mm -hmm, anyway, mm -hmm. either. You know, so we certainly have had the brakes put on us. But... I, I, I think that that will be, and it'll be interesting to see how they develop. You know, yeah. I think that's going to be a big break on their economy and mm -hmm. their growth and their ability to, to direct monies in the right way. Right now, you see cities, entire cities in China, 
empty. You know, mm -hmm. they, they built these enormous cities and spent a lot of money doing it. They employed a lot of people doing it, but now the cities are crumbling. This True. Is, like, they have nobody in them, yep. and they have nobody to put in them. Mm -hmm. And that sort of, to me, is like the hallmark of a century planned economy. You know, you build an entire city full of buildings and wonderful roads, to deliver and that. you don't ever use it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you might as well take it the cash and just chucked it out the window. That, that, that's true. And I just, I'm fascinated by the fact that how they've uh, combined uh, capitalism and communism together and yeah. made this phenomenal empire where everybody is in debt to, <laughs> in debt to uh, China. Yes. There's so many African countries that are in debt. I mean, the U.S. gets most of the stuff from there. Mm -hmm. And it, it just blows my mind how much like nobody really cared about China twenty years ago. They no, were they, they were relatively yeah. unknown. Right? And then in the two thousands, early two thousands, they just started booming. Mm -hmm. You know, they started selling. They started you know their markets started going up, and it's just fast. That just that country, as much as it is very close to my mm -hmm. country of origin, it you just know that they have so much power. So don't you feel like India is right on the cusp of having explosive growth there as well? It see the thing is that like yes, but people are so stuck in um, in keeping tradition mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. some most people don't want to move in that direction. I was just telling uh, one of my friends that if you go on a very one of one of the famous roads in my city. There's malls that are built by um, Arabs mm -hmm. that are beautiful, beautiful than any malls that you can see in the States. Mm. Everything is gorgeous. And then on the other side, it's just a temple that's like 2,000 years old. Mm. Beautiful architecture. And it's such a vast difference because some people are, they preserve their tradition so much to the point they don't want that to overtake this because India is a beautiful place. As I mean, as much as the population is crazy and there's so much poverty, the the wealth of um, ancient infrastructure and wealth of just knowledge you can get from that country by looking mm -hmm. at things is just immense. So I don't think India wants to. I don't think they want to go to okay. the point where they're uber westernized mm -hmm. um, and because in, if that's the case then they would have to get get rid of their traditions get rid of their infrastructure um, but you're you're right there are pockets in India where it is super westernized mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of western influence especially in the south because that's where all the ports were okay so the Germans French um, and the British that's where they came to do all their trades um, and you could see a lot of British influence in my dad's hometown. Mm -hmm. um, and it's weird because everybody that worked around that area has a very slight tint of British accent in their Indian accent. It is the weirdest thing <laughs> you can ever uh, hear. But um, it's just interesting. There's so much influence, especially in the South, when it comes to um, the Western world. Um, but yeah, but you're right. There is There is a... There is definitely a growth in, um, in I guess, being westernized or technology going up. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, preservation is something that Indians definitely want to keep for themselves. So I mean, we might see uh, a technological revolution with Indian characteristics. You know, I would hope so. I mean, I would hope so. 
but what what blows my mind is that how did they if you ever get a chance i would totally encourage you to go oh and, i do i want to go yeah I, I would love to travel more the, than i've been the precise to. architecture in temples mm-hmm. people have said there's no way even laser technology mm. can make something like that because it is so intricate it's so detailed um true craftsman yeah and some people say aliens helped him do it <laughs> so I'm like uh, you know at this point we can't take anything out of the equation so let's put it all in there um, but yeah I think I believe they've, Indians have had technology far more um, advanced mm-hmm. for their time in comparison to everybody that you know we're, we're doing things around them because people traded so much with, with India that the Romans sold all their gold okay. to India, and in turns uh, they got black pepper. Mm. And I was like, "That is a very odd trade." <laughs> no, no, not trade, right? <laughs> but they pr- what they've said is that they've sold so much gold that their own economy crumbled hmm. because they just took black pepper, and apparently everybody loves black pepper. <laughs> I mean, you see it on every table you go. You know, everybody's house you go, you see a salt and black pepper there. Hmm. Um, but the amount of what um, India did obtain from selling spices all over the world, mm-hmm. um, America, I'm not, India has so much wealth hidden in temples. If, Just in the, in in the architecture itself? Yes, or, and okay. within like um, secret rooms within. Oh, okay. And okay. obviously it's all forbidden mm-hmm. to enter. Uh, but especially in the, in the temples in the south, there is tons and tons and tons of gold and precious metals hmm. hidden underground in the temples. And these temples are f- are 40 stories high, but they're made in the shape of a pyramid. Okay. Um, I mean, if you've like looked at uh, the pyramidal structures all over the world, like obviously the Pyramid of Giza, mm-hmm. the Mayan temples, they have such similarities to the architecture in India because it's it's almost like a giant staircase to to heaven okay so and around each uh, level there's there's different gods and different mm-hmm. like angels and demons and everything and until it gets to one the highest peak and then there's like the god you know so that that infrastructure always I always was curious why are they building something up that high mm-hmm. where are they going what is the purpose of that <laughs> and I mean, obviously, I've watched different documentaries on the reasons behind the pyramidal structure mm-hmm. and how that um, how that structure has some kind of significance to connecting to connecting to cosmology, connecting okay. to um, different patterns in, in stars and whatnot. And that always got me very curious. Mm-hmm. I started I started doing a deep dive into infrastructure, and that just blew my mind. Now these are primarily Hindu temples. Yes, yes. Hindu. Also, I mean, uh, India is about eighty five percent Hindu. Okay. 10%, I didn't realize it was that high. Yeah, ten okay. percent uh, Muslim and then five percent Christian. Okay. And most of that Christian, most of Christianity is down down south. There's very, very, very few Christians up. So again, the British influence. Yeah. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. And a lot. I mean, India is probably one of the few places that are heavily persecuted. Christianity is heavily persecuted. Even mm-hmm. Muslims are heavily persecuted in, in India. They've burned down mosques, churches, rip everything down, they'll kill you. Like mm-hmm. that's that's how bad um, religious freedom is in, in countries like India. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like I said, I don't take anything for granted in this country. Being able to practice your religion freely, mm-hmm. being able to have a different thought process and not be, you know, 
persecuted exactly. for Exactly. Sure. And that just blows my mind, and a lot of people don't get it. A lot of people don't understand the First Amendment. No. You know? No, I, I think... So I think the basis of this country, the founding fathers' thoughts on the country when they made it, uh, were sadly uneducated in that. Mm -hmm. um, but that whole emphasis on individualism as opposed to a collectivist mm -hmm. sort of outlook uh, was the basis for our freedom. You know, you can do what you want to do, and it's none of my business. Mm -hmm. And likewise, I can do what I want to do, and it's, it's none not of my your business. Yes, yes. And to, to come to that sort of an idea and found a country on it, it it's marvelous it's, it's marvelous yeah. and, and and I fear that we're sort of in the throes of losing that yes you know I mean I fear like if we don't educate people and point out the advantages and where those advantages come from um, you get these power group struggles and it's just collectivist group against collectivist mm -hmm. group and they forget about the individual in the middle, that that's what the whole basis of our country is for. Mm -hmm. you know, if you find that you want to be a Hindu or a Christian or a Muslim, what offense is that to anybody else? Mm -hmm. You know, but in countries where they're collectivized, it's a power struggle. It's this group versus this group yes. versus this group. And, well, you know, and, and, and it's, it's particularly bad in religion because in most uh, disagreements, say we're going to have a disagreement about the structure of an atom, well, we can point to something objective. We can run experiments. We can say, okay, let's use our rational faculties to figure out the correct answer to this and agree to disagree until we get there. With religion, they, by definition, exclude a lot of rational discussion. It, it, it becomes a faith-based discussion. Well, we have two ways of solving disagreements. We can either argue it out rationally with one another, or we can beat each other over the head, you know, <laughs> until one of us submits. And, and if you can't reason, then you're left with force. Yep. And so you have to have some sort of political structure that says, we won't allow force. It's not permitted. And then you can believe anything you want to believe, and nobody's allowed to to initiate force against you. Nobody's allowed to, to violate your right to do that. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't exist very many places. And where it does, yes. that was the influence of that same type of thinking that spread throughout the world. Um, and I, I don't know how to preserve it other than to educate people about it, you mm -hmm. know, and to point it out. And I, was, I did a podcast before, uh, this podcast with... Um, one of my wife's friends, mm. and she um, she was she defected from former USSR in 1990, 1990. and this was in because there was a civil war going on in Azerbaijan and mm -hmm. Ar Armenia, um, and they were formerly USSR uh, part, part of part the of Union, yeah. Yeah. and she told me this horrendous story about the civil war that happened there and how they were hacking people and just mm. killing people, and then she and her dad and her mom and her couple siblings, they were able to escape on the last train to Moscow. Oh, wow. Um, and from Moscow, how they, you know, they got the visa to come to the United States. But she, she told me this crazy story where uh, somebody was going to um, uh, support them when they moved to the States. Mm, like sponsor and sponsor them. them mm -hmm. and, you know, and get, pay for their visa and pay for their flight ticket and everything. Um, and they, they were ready to 
come to the States, but when they got to the airport and the embassy, um, they said, sorry, your sponsor pulled out. Oh, and no. they were like, we sold everything. In our, in our, everything they had, yeah, right? And then they yeah. to come here and somebody was that somebody pulled out. Mm. And they were just list, literally sitting there. And she told me her mom had never believed in any form of religion. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously the Soviet Union was heavily atheistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow she un- somehow she said she had a dream about Christ. Mm-hmm. And she said, help us. help." She prayed and she said, Christ, help us. And then one of the guards said, hey, there's a fax coming in. Just wait up. Don't go anywhere. And then somebody said that they, you know, reinstated their um, uh, their sponsorship, and they were able to go. And she was saying, mm-hmm. and she said that that was the most relieving time of my life. You know, to be, be able to escape um, communism and come to a country that is, you know, absolutely free. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said that was my first spiritual encounter with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, it didn't have it didn't it wasn't a personal spiritual encounter. I saw somebody going through a spiritual encounter and helped them, and that helped me. And she she just told me so many stories about uh, even though she moved to the states, she still had to struggle with identity. You know, where am I? I'm I'm not I'm not American, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't feel welcomed here. You know, she had to battle that um, for a long time before she was able to understand. Um, so yeah. did she experience, um, you know, hostility because she was an immigrant, or was it mostly her, pers- like? Uh, her sc- I mean, yes, I, uh, and that was the, that was what we were talking about that whole podcast. It was like, is it, was it about, um, was her biggest struggle being accepted, or was it more about um, her trauma? And she said there was a mixture of both. Okay, and. I think she perceived people. I mean, she's dark skinned like me, mm-hmm. um, and and she even she moved her. She always felt uh, that no one was welcoming, as even though people like that's how um, anybody that moves from a different country comes to the states, mm-hmm. um, and and it could be black, white, or anybody um, that are, that are Americans. You always feel like, oh, they don't want me here. They don't want me here. They don't know me. They don't like my culture. Um, it's a hard thing. Uh, for any immigrant moving here, but for her it was is exceedingly hard because of her trauma in the past, mm-hmm. um, and and those things did have an impact on her relationships here in the states as well. Uh, but she is so hardcore, um, pro America and pro <laughs> uh, <laughs> for first and second yeah, yeah, and right. she's first and second amendment like she is. So far, right leaning, she's gonna fall off the side. <laughs> and because she just sees how much, how much propaganda the Soviet Union has put out there, mm-hmm. and how much she sees it um, coming to the states as yes, well, yes. the propaganda over and over and over again, and she just keeps. She even got banned from Facebook so many times because of how much she was posting about it. Um, and with that being said, she. She was just saying how much. Um, she was saying that America w- is the only last free country. Mm-hmm. Is the only last free country, and I I would have to say I agree with that as well. I think she's right. You know, so I, I've often played with the idea. Well, where would I go if I couldn't live here? You know, where where would I travel to if something disastrous happened here and our whole system collapsed? 
and, and I never come up with a clear answer, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I used to think of things like New Zealand or Australia. Oh, no. But then you see what happened over there <laughs> no. with COVID, and yeah. you're like, whoa, yeah. I didn't see that one coming. I yeah. mean, so the Aussies always struck me as these very individualistic type yep. souls, um, heavily influenced by, you know, Western, the United States yep. sort of philosophy. But clearly, that's not the case. Yep. You know, and now I don't know, I don't know any Aussies to talk to to say, well, is this really just a small group imposing this on you from the above, you know, from your government level? Or is this something that you people are just, you know, Acceptant of, and I, mean, I don't it, know. It's because they took their guns away. Yeah, I mean, that was the first know. thing they did. <laughs> yeah. uh, like I, I don't know. I think the nine early nineteen nineties they banned mm -hmm. weapons, um, uh, firearms, and ever since then they've because they were like, oh, it's a safe country. You don't have to worry about firearms. Mm -hmm. And then slowly they started taking away individual freedoms and freedoms and freedoms. And then now you have a country that's like. You know, like so Almost a tyranny. Yeah, so it's not like, you know, the old proverb of boiling the frog where you can't throw the frog in boiling water, but you can keep the water up gradually. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it's frightening to, con to contemplate something like that happening here, but you see it. I mean, you certainly see trends toward it. Uh, it I am a huge advocate of not paying much attention to mainstream media. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, I think as as a citizen, I need to have some peripheral understanding of what's going on in the country. Mm -hmm. But if you read, if, so if you sit and watch CNN, yep. and then you sit and watch Fox News, national level, you will swear you just were in two different countries. Yes, I agree. And, and, and it's not only the way they portray certain things, but it's even what they portray. Mm -hmm. So the entire blocks of news are left out of one or the other depending on mm -hmm. their political persuasion and it doesn't take a whole lot of thinking to realize neither of them are right you know I mean, they, they're both way off scale you know mm -hmm. trying to tug their own agenda mm -hmm. so my thought is you know find people that you respect and trust in whatever areas you want to follow and, and you know get input from them remain aware of what's going on but then use your capacity to think, you know, and say, yep. okay, what makes sense to me? And so much of media is trying to get you riled up mm -hmm. and get you involved so that you watch more of it. Mm -hmm. And what a waste of time. Yep. I mean, you know, so you could spend a half hour watching, uh, you know, news, or you could spend a half hour reading a really good book that you're going to learn True. something out of and gain something from. Mm -hmm. And you're by far way better to do the second exactly. than the first. And I deleted all my social media about two and a half to three months ago. Mm -hmm. And I have never been more happy. How did that affect your life? I honestly feel way more relaxed. I just don't feel a tug to be emotionally riled up, like you mm -hmm. said. Because, um, like, if you can, if you just scroll through Instagram or Facebook, you see so many things people are arguing over. Silly yes, things, silly yes. matters. And if something, some big case going on or like the couple trials that happened mm -hmm. in the last couple of months, uh, the Kyle trial and the Ahmaud Arbery trial. Like, if you, I looked at my wife's social media just for fun, mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm, I, I don't even want to. <laughs> you look can feel at the that. pressure yes, rising, right? Yes, because it's it it just pushes you to form this opinion against what what's been spoken there. Yeah. So it's like constantly building an internal argument for no reason. Mm -hmm. You're not arguing with anybody in person. No. You're just arguing with just a computer in it your out head. To see what happens, right? And it's an internal, constant argument that mm -hmm. takes away your peace, and it takes away your 
capacity to think because you're afraid of uh, losing that argument within your head. Yes. So you just ca- keep building a different argument, different argument over and over again that you just are stuck in a loop of having to... F- it's almost like if uh, you get addicted to arguments. Mm-hmm. You get addicted mm-hmm. to opposition. And that's what media and is arguing to win yes rather than to learn yes and that that is a cycle of addiction <laughs> that nobody <laughs> yes. talks about and i mean i feel like it's if if you take everybody's phone in the whole of the united states I, the withdrawal that would have that, that would take <laughs> place from every individual yeah. it would be so bad it would that be. people would be depressed people would just be sad people would have nowhere to look to people have to talk to one another and they don't want to do that so i think that i think that addiction cycle yeah. i've escaped that That's and good. i am pretty pretty happy with the the results that i've taken yeah that so I've out of that. social media so big you know so uh, the mainstream media certainly is one issue and social media is different and they both have some similar characteristics one mm-hmm. of the things i think that well both of them prey on your fears yeah. right um and, and that's that's true of marketing in general. It's like, oh, let's see if we can make them afraid, afraid not to have a friend or afraid not to look right or whatever, not be accepted into their group. There again, they're not playing up the individual yep. or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but social media has this other component to it, which is people put their self-worth into how people respond to it, how many followers them. they have, yeah. how many likes they get. And all of a sudden they've, farmed out their self-worth to all these other people and that's not where it comes from and so they have this false sense of self-esteem that's built on what other people think of them i mean what a lousy way to live it's there's no genuine value of yourself in that situation you only see it when you step back yeah you don't you you don't you you gotta step back to see it you know it's 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 frightening if i had to design a way to drive people nuts I'd feed them a steady media diet, you know, where the, the, the topics change like this. There's never an in-depth conversation. They never get an opportunity to understand what they're seeing. They just see it played over and over again. And then throw on top of that social media so that their whole value system is built on other people instead of on themselves. What a way to screw up a brain. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I, I can't imagine a better way to ruin your rational faculty. And where do you think this type of mentality is going to lead to? Because I don't see technology going away anytime quickly. No, so I don't either, and, and I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of technology. Yep. So I think that social media can be done right. Okay. Um, I think that technology can be used for good mm-hmm. and for evil purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the fundamentals still lie with um, teaching people a proper moral basis for their actions, uh, teaching them what their freedoms are based on, showing them how to think critically. So I'm a huge, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm opposed to most of what I see in education. So I see so much in education telling people what to think rather than how to think. Critical thinking skills are just not taught yeah. appropriately. Yeah. 
for obvious reasons because you don't want people to disagree with you because i i believe when i when i came to the states that's all they talked about at least before i came to the states they, mm-hmm. in india there were so many coaches telling me you have to learn how to think critically because that's mm-hmm. all they do back there but when you come here and i'm like so this much. is not this is not the case when i started going when i started college here it was it's, although i did go to a christian private college mm-hmm. calvin college there was still hints of um how to think Sure. how to think and how to view the world and now that i i went to the community college for a year in between that was a whole different like world <laughs> teachers are just spewing pop propaganda and that was the election year oh. when trump and hillary were running oh my gosh i can't the, imagine the political science professor literally sat down and told us told us how much she did not like trump Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Are you going to teach the class? Are you going to teach us about some yeah. theory here?" Yeah. But sh- all she did was, was just spew, uh, you know, hatred towards one group of people. And I was just like, "Okay, this is really weird." And I was still mm-hmm. new to politics in this country. Okay. And I still felt a little awkward in terms of how how she was running that class. And then, when she when Trump won. She literally d- she said, today we're not just going to learn anything today. We're just going to sit and just talk. And I was like, okay, I see the, I see it. You know, I see the benefit of it. But at the same time, like, you're just making people constantly tell everybody how they feel. Yeah. And as much as it is a good thing, you're just, but you're propagating emotions rather than propagating, like, intellectual conversations. And that's what I see in education, in my perspective. Yes. I totally see what you're saying, but is there anything specific that you think that's destroying people's young people's minds, especially at college or high school? Sure, and and so and this would be a critical thing because you have a child now, yep. right? You know, so um, anything that crushes their curiosity, anything that crushes a child's natural curiosity, in my view, is just pure evil. So they should be allowed to explore the world and they should be allowed to do things not that are dangerous to them, certainly that's your job is to protect them from danger, mm-hmm. but things that you might disagree with, you know? A- and um, a, a teacher, when they stand in front of a class, they're an authority figure. And when they tell you how you ought to think, now they may not say, well, Simon, you need to think this way. But what they're gonna say is, Here's what I think. Mm-hmm. And I'd like you to turn in, you know, a paper in a of week about think, this yeah. subject. <laughs> what are you going to do? Are you going to disagree with them? You know, I mean, unless you have a relationship with that teacher and you know, okay, mm-hmm. they can be objective about this. They have pretty much forced you to think in a certain way. And with without being, you know, verbally saying you have to do this, but they've implied it. It's no different than an employer. You know, if I went around to my employees and said, you know, um, boy, I, you know, sure wouldn't want to employ anybody that voted Democratic, you know, yeah. or something like that, yeah. you know, and, and I'll, what are they? <laughs> that would be terrifying. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, 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 it just, those sorts of subtle things have no place in education. Yeah. Whereas if they're teaching critical thinking skills, they might say, well, here's a position. Let's explore that. You know, what do you think about that? Well, why do you think that? What biases do you think that might have influenced your judgment? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, make them think about how their mind works. Um, I would be an advocate for them even teaching mindfulness in classes, mm-hmm. you know, because we watch 
uh, your mind and how it works and you say wow you know I'm getting input from places I didn't realize I was getting input from maybe I should examine that a little closer or just at least introspection you mm -hmm. know thinking about how you think um, because we have we do have I mean we're human we have biases that are built in and 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 if you don't have those biases pointed out to you then you will continue to fall for them time and time again because by definition you're unaware of them you know and, and, and so I think those sorts of skills can be taught I don't think they are being taught at least not on a regular basis and our whole culture seems to be shifted against wanting any kind of discussion about that it's more of I'm right you're wrong and you know if you disagree with my group well you're out you know and that's so that's a and, and I think a lot of that I mean so evolutionarily speaking we we came in small groups mm -hmm. you know I mean we survived in small groups and you were expected to fit into the family clan and if you didn't you were you know you, you had that threat you're ousted so I, I, you know there's probably a, a deep-seated um, evolutionary fear of being rejected by the group and, and that keeps a lot of us in line yep. um, and, and that's where I think that whole teaching and upholding of individualism as a as uh, something to to aspire to um, can break that down. Mm -hmm. You no longer have to be a member of a group. Mm -hmm. You can find somebody that is interested in you for your ideas, mm -hmm. you know, and wants to learn from you. Mm -hmm. um, and art, like I said earlier, I don't think arguments should be about proving who's right. I think arguments should be about figuring out what's right for yourself, yep. right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like, well, you know, I have the better arguments. So I win, eh, you know, too bad for you. Yeah. Um, it, it should be about, well, let's, let's discover this and, know, together. And people don't understand that it's okay to have a change of mind. It, oh, geez, yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, as you grow up and you gain experience. So the older I get, the more I realize how much I don't know mm -hmm. and how much I thought I knew that was wrong, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so... Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you should be encouraged to change your mind on things. Yep. And, and that should be celebrated. Yep. You know, not, well, uh, look, and you see this in campaigns all the time. They'll play something that a politician said 15 years ago, mm -hmm. and now they're saying something different. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what relevance does that have at all? Mm -hmm. So they change their mind. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's a proper thing to do. Now, maybe yep. they changed it, in my opinion, the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. But... It's okay to change your mind about things. Yeah. You know, um, being committed to science. So I, I'm, a, I'm a huge science fanatic. And, and one of the things that I really didn't learn till later on in, in science was that you have to be open to the fact that you're gonna be wrong. And you have to be open to the fact that you, there's, there's always new information that comes out that could sway your, your thoughts about things. Um, so Feynman, physicist was one of my is one of my heroes mm -hmm. uh, he not only was a brilliant physicist but he had this deep curiosity about the world and he passed it on to his kids I mean he was if you read his books it's, it's just great um, he talks about you know his life he's not so much talking about physics so it's not like this dense material um, but he was funny uh, but he not only had this real deep driving curiosity about things but he said you know you have to first be careful not to fool yourself, and you're the easiest person to fool. Oh, yeah. You know, it, <laughs> yeah, I've like, heard that statement. Before. Yeah, it's very, you know, very and, and, and yeah. he's, you know, he's like, you, you, you have to be open to the evidence, mm -hmm. and, um, 
and be willing to change your mind. Be okay with that. You know, not be caught up. So here's another thing that that you can learn from mindfulness. You know, if you if you practice it, is you start to see your thoughts as being something you don't have to be tied to. So you don't have to identify with your thoughts or with a specific emotion. It can be something that's happening, that's coming up from. You don't know the source of a thought that popped up, but you don't have to identify with it. You can say, well, isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. um, that's really water. Well, I'd like mm -hmm. to figure out where that thought came from. Mm -hmm. um, or you have an emotion, you know, you, you can choose. You, so you might become just, you, you see something and it makes you angry. And the physiological response to that might last 90 seconds in your body. But you can choose to be angry all day about it. You can wake up the next morning and still be angry about mm -hmm. it. Or you can say, you know, okay, I was really angry about that. Um, let's, you know, do I know why I was angry about that? Sure, I know why I was angry about that. Okay. Do I have to be identified with that anger? Does it have to ruin two days of my life? No, not at all. You know, it's so, it's not teaching you to be apathetic and not care, but, um, but you're not anchored to that emotion you know it's not you it's it's something that happened to you mm -hmm. so you know everything happens to you <laughs> and and so you know that whole being open to change that whole being open to um letting your curiosity drive you into whatever directions you know you find fascinating i think you can learn so much that way but also it just makes life so interesting mm -hmm. so fascinating yep. you can't get bored true you, you can't mm -hmm. you know yeah, I definitely want to jump back into mindfulness, but before before we go get into that, are people do people know how to reason anymore? So I yeah, so I do think that they certainly there are people that know how to yeah, reason. Yes, of course, yeah. Um, I think it's a skill to be learned and perfected. Um, am I great at reason? I like to think I'm okay but I think I've got a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. Every time I think I've got it down, somebody will point out something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just read, you know, pick up a book about biases sometimes mm -hmm. um, and, and, and read about all of the unconscious biases that you have and um, then start looking for those in your life. And it's, it's shocking. Yep. I mean, it's just shocking. And you think, okay, well, I've learned about it, but then it still happens to you, right? Mm -hmm. Because these things are, I mean, that's just the way we're designed. And so it's not as though you can ever get rid of your biases, but what you can do is learn to recognize them mm -hmm. when they pop up, mm -hmm. or at least be suspicious about them. You know, you jump to a conclusion about something and you say, okay, well, what might have fueled that jump to that conclusion? You know, like, do I have any evidence about that? Mm -hmm. Or did I just feel that was the right thing? You know, so, um, but yeah, I do, I do think, I think that you can, I think that you can reason. I think there are people that reason. I think, that the majority of time people don't mm -hmm. you know I think we are heavily influenced and probably more so now than ever which is sort of ironic because technology and science have advanced so much um, and yet I think more than ever you see this tribalism um, where people choose a group to belong to and then all of their conclusions are based on the group that they belong to like you know it, it's somewhat odd that if I know if I know your opinion about being vaccinated against COVID, I know your opinion about immigration, you know, and why should there be a tie there? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it's strange that we fall into groups like that and 
we're expected to toe the party line because we might get kicked out if mm -hmm. we don't. Back to that old tribalism thing, you know, we've advanced beyond that or we should have advanced beyond that. But I don't think we have. And if anything in America, I feel like that's gotten worse. And, and that's, what, that's what worries me. Mm -hmm. And if, do you, what kind of suggestions do you have for somebody that's struggling to know how to reason? So, first, paying very, very close attention to what do they really know. Mm -hmm. What do you really know versus what have you accepted from someplace else? Um, and it's just an opinion you hold based on people who have said it who may not have any knowledge in that field. So, you know, it can be anything. You can pick any topic at all that you've got an opinion about and ask yourself, well, what do I really know about that? And then start looking into why should I think that way? And then watch your mind try to resist any change that happens when you find evidence to the contrary. Yep. Um, because you will, you know, so that's a bias actually. Mm -hmm. um, that's a well-known bias where if you find evidence that's contrary to an opinion that you hold, mm -hmm. you'll place lesser weight on that, that information, that evidence. So I think if you just watch your mind at work, that's probably one of the very first things you can you can do. Um, you can take a you can take a course in logic, or you can read a book on logic. Um, logic can be really dry, and so you have to have a fair amount of interest to try to to try to plow through some of those things. But um, I think just listening to people who obviously use their minds actively rather than passively. You know, people that are struggling to solve a problem, people that are struggling to find a solution, um, particularly the more dry or technical the solution is. So let's say somebody trying to solve a uh, problem in science versus, is, because the, trying to solve a problem in the humanities becomes really clouded until you, it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, there's, it's at a different level uh, of thinking um, and so I think you need to start where it's cut and dry you know watching people even things like um, learning proofs in geometry you know where you, you where you've got a structured way of thinking mm -hmm. I think those sorts of things help um, so I don't, I don't know if that is the answer you're looking for yeah, I mean that those are those are beginning baby steps for somebody that mm -hmm. struggles with knowing how to reason um, I think we've I guess, in, especially in this country, or even most most of the Western Hemisphere, people are initially taught how to reason, taught how to mm -hmm. think for themselves. Uh, but we're going back to that same conversation about that's been taken away. Yeah. Um, but the best thing is to go back to know how to go back and learn how to reason again, mm -hmm. um, to have good conversations and to be able to learn how to accept a different point of view and not be wrecked yes. by that, yes. <laughs> you know? It's, it's so tragic, um, yes. And it's, it's almost like your whole identity is, is broken down just because you, your body wants to agree with something, but you keep fighting it, and it's, it's yeah. just a whole internal war. Um, but I definitely want to jump into the, uh, uh, to the mindfulness topic mm -hmm. today. Um, that was first time I ever came across mindfulness. Is obviously uh, through you. I think that was one of the oh, okay. earlier. I did not know that. Yeah, I was. I think that was the, my earliest exposure to mindfulness. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's when it started to get more popular. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I definitely found that interesting, fascinating, and obviously I, I'm a Christian, mm-hmm. and I always thought that, huh, is there a way that I can actually like make that you know come together? Uh, because mindfulness didn't necessarily have a root in any sort of religion, mm-hmm. right? It had its own. I mean, it did have initial root in Hinduism and meditation and whatnot, but, like, the mainstream one had kind of, like, everybody can do it, you know? Yes, so it it has been secularized, and that's that's, um, the way I teach it, Mm -hmm. uh, taught it, um, and approach it as a a more secular level. Mm -hmm. If you look at the roots of it, um, it definitely comes out of the background of the Hinduism and then Buddhism, Mm -hmm. Um, and the Buddha, you know, of course, is notoriously the one who codified this method of, of mindfulness practice. Um, but it's questionable whether you can call Buddhism a religion or not. Mm-hmm. So Buddha himself was very adamant that you not believe what he said. Yep. You know, he's very adamant about, you know, find this out for yourself. Um, and just gave you a method. Now Buddhism is a religion because it's been practiced by some of his followers um, as that, which is interesting on an off topic because you so you see religions any organized religion is so dramatically different from what its originator taught you know and, um, it, which is is an interesting topic in and of itself but back to, to, to mindfulness um, so there are Christian so they there have been in the past um, mindfulness practitioners in the credit in the Christian tradition I'm trying to think of the name that they use Gnostics um, they may have developed in the line of the Gnostics um, but they were persecuted by the early church I know that Mm -hmm. uh, the Inquisition and things like that Mm -hmm. uh, because it was sort of considered by the Pope that you know, if you were going to use your mind to come up with these solutions, if you were going to pursue what was happening in your body, um, you didn't need the authority. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Pope was the authority, and that was dangerous. <laughs> you know, that was a subversive thought. Uh, but there, there were certainly Christian um, practitioners, and it usually took the form of, so there's many, many different types of mindfulness, different types of meditation practices. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like the insight meditation, vipassana meditation, and there's uh, concentration meditation, some of the meditation. Um, there is a tradition of using uh, phrases, meditating on phrases, and many of the Christian um, meditators were using uh, like a prayer. You know, they repeat They'll over repeat prayer, and over yeah. and over. And in, in, the, in the Catholic tradition, it's almost like the rosary mm-hmm. type of thing. Um, so there, there definitely were and are, um, now there's been a swing, now, now that mindfulness has gained uh, popularity in the mainstream, there's more openness to that. Um, you know, as churches want to hold on to their practitioners, they're not going to try to alienate too many of them. And um, so there, now, now there's actually groups that I know of, you know, that I've heard of anyway, um, of, of Christian practitioners of meditation. Um, it's, so it's being used in a specific way mm-hmm. in that fashion, not in its original intent. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, so for me, mindfulness, well, for people that don't know what it is, um, 
It's paying attention to the present moment on purpose and with a real deep sense of curiosity and non-judgmentally. And that's probably the hardest part, the non-judgmentally portion of it. So when we watch things happen in our mind, we, inst we form instantaneous judgments about it. It's trying to get rid of that judgment formation. Just say, well, isn't that interesting? That's what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. um, and beginning meditators get into this a lot. So, you know, the, the typical instruction will be to get yourself relaxed, you know, and then start paying attention to your body. And then slowly you, they focus on their breath, which is the most common anchor that we use in mindfulness um, meditation. But it can, be, it can be sounds in the environment or whatever. And then you watch what happens. And almost instantly your brain gets deflected. You start thinking about something. Why am I doing this? I'm uncomfortable here. What was that sound? Uh, you know, so you, you, you get distracted. And the instruction is to recognize that distraction, see what happened, label it, so, you know, if you, and then bring your mind back. You know, so you, you're coming back to, to your focus, your anchor. And the beginning meditator will quickly get irritated with themselves. Oh, geez, I got caught thinking again. What's wrong with me? They're judging themselves. So one of the things you have to, to get across is that point of stop judging yourself. You know, not judging yourself. You're what, it's what you're supposed to have happen to you. You're human. That's the way your brain works, and that's what you're supposed to discover is that's how your brain works. And so it's that, that's what mindfulness is, is mm -hmm. that, that present attention, not as compared to where we spend most of our lives with our mind wandering, and you're not even aware it's wandering until all of a sudden you, you like something startles and you're like, wow, you know, I, I was off in no, no man's land, you know, thinking about something, you know, just random thoughts coming up. You're usually like reliving an experience that you've had, an argument that you've had. Um, oh, I should have said this in that circumstance, and I said that. What was I thinking? Or you're worrying about something that's upcoming. Oh, okay, I gotta go to the doctor tomorrow. You know, what is he gonna find? You know, you're. So you're not in the present, and you're, 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 you're trapped in your thoughts. And so that's the whole point of mindfulness, is to get you out of that, that, that state cycle. of unawareness. Yeah. Yeah. Break that cycle and start to realize what's going on. Mm -hmm. So my experience with mindfulness has transformed um, because I was t initially talking to you about how I could merge those, those two things mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And from what I've come to, and what I'm still learning right now, is to realize that all thoughts are lies mm -hmm. because they they either build you up to let you down to let you down to build you up mm -hmm. so because we don't know the origin of thoughts right you don't know where it's coming from how it's coming from from where um we, we can't pinpoint an origin of thoughts but all we know is that we receive it in our head and it and it makes an internal sort of it gives you an internal message and you react towards it so I've when I when I um, go into a state of mindfulness, I call that prayer. Mm -hmm. Like I don't call that meditation. I don't okay. call that. Um, I, even though it is mindfulness, it it's prayer to me because mm -hmm. prayer, as much as people have made it out to be a constant constant state of begging God mm -hmm. for something. <laughs> God help me give this. God please give me a house. Give me this and give me that. Like. Even in scripture, it says that don't worry about those things, you know, because even Christ said that I have, I am, t I take care of the birds, I take care of the bees, I take care of the grass and the field. Mm -hmm. Just pay attention to me. Don't worry about things that you need for yourself because I give you all those things, mm -hmm. right? So when I started 
um, meditating on that specific verse and at the same time praying about it, which is just going into myself, I stopped judging my thoughts, like you said, mm-hmm. but I started just observing it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're supposed to be an observer of your thoughts because you don't create it, you just have to observe it. And even if it's like the worst thought you can ever have, don't judge us, let it pass through one side and let it go out through the other, right? Very similar to mindfulness, mm-hmm. but it just helps me s- connect so well to to the creator um, of the universe and everything above it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that just gives me so much pre- peace because... All it does is help me come to the present. And you, to what I believe is that you can only connect God when you're in the present moment okay. because you're you're able to understand what's around you. You're able to understand, um, for example, I'm talking to you right now, mm-hmm. right? I have to constantly work towards... If I've never done mindfulness, I'm always going to think about what I have to say next. What am yes, I? What's the, yes. what's the next question I'm going to ask? Instead of paying attention to what yeah, the person's what you're, really exactly. saying, what are they coming from? Yes. And... I think that's a practice that I had to de- like. I had to develop that skill mm-hmm. um, in order to be able to sit down and have a conversation with somebody and not be in my own <laughs> world right. in the future. You know, right, right. Um, and especially, especially when it comes to now being married and now you know mm-hmm. having a child, I found that so helpful because when I'm working, when I'm making money, I'm that's all I'm thinking about. You know, I'm just focused on if I'm if I'm at work, I'm thinking about work. Right. Um, and when I'm when I have time to go through my finances, I just do it then, you know. When I'm playing my kid, I'm like I'm playing my kid. When I'm talking and listening to my wife, I'm listening to my wife. Like I've constantly made an effort to understand that I need to be in the present at all times. And the way that I've gotten good at it is by praying, which is mindfulness. Okay. Um, and by doing that morning and night. Um, I'm able to stay in a state of prayer, which is what I believe is just to be present. Mm-hmm. Prayer is being present. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're able to do that, you're able to not overreact. and You overcome anger. You overcome judgment, mm-hmm. you know. And you overcome um, letting your emotions take the best of you and not being able to think logically. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I've been talking to so many people about... Um, praying silently mm-hmm. you know praying by observing um, because God's will only comes to you through observation that's what I believe mm-hmm. it doesn't come to you in a book it does not come to you <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a love letter it comes from comes from observing what he has to offer to you in the present moment and every time I do talk to somebody about that they're like oh you're just doing the eastern meditation mindfulness and I feel like Christians are the first people to ignore being mm-hmm. present, being me- like meditating slash observing, and to me, I just find that fascinating because even in scripture it says, "Be still and know that I am God." You know, mm-hmm. um, and people find the hard people find it so hard to just remain still because they, it, it seems to have some kind of attachment to Eastern mystic religions and whatnot. So. Yeah, yeah. So. There is a big difference, I think, between some of the Eastern philosophies and the Western mm-hmm. way of doing things. And, um, and there's definitely a bias, if I can use that word, against um, inactivity. You know, so in the Western world, there is sort of this 
underlying presumption that if you're sitting there doing nothing, you're wasting your time. And I would disagree, obviously, radically with that. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes learning to take that time to sit um, and, and introspect or meditate or prayer, whatever you want to call it, if it's you're sitting there looking at what's happening in your experience at the moment, uh, you can learn so much. And like you said, it removes that reactivity from your life. You're not, you're not, you're no longer a plaything of your, mm -hmm. the next thought that pops through your head or the next emotion that arises. And, but I can see where that gets you into trouble, you know, with, when you're trying to converse with people who are very um, orthodox in their thinking. And there's, again, that suspicion of, oh, it's different. So it must be scary and it's not part of my, my tribe. What are you talking about? You, if, you're not, if you're not asking for something, how can you be praying, right? So um, that's an interesting take on it. But yeah, and I think that has just got me in all sorts of um, like you said, trouble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with stirred up. Yeah, but ever since I've been able to just be still and learn God better, I've I feel like I've changed so much from the normal Christian. Mm -hmm. And to me, I feel like that's the best thing that's ever happened to me. But at the same time, to everybody else, I am going my own way. You know, mm -hmm. and. And as much as people are like, you can't go your own way, you know, you, you, you and there's like, God won't allow you to go your own way. But I'm like, hey, he literally said the way to heaven is narrow and you know, <laughs> the way to destruction is wide. So if you want to go on that path, that's on you. I mean, then again, you're feeling that pressure, yeah. that pressure from to conform. Exactly. And, I, 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 you know, um, so Henry David Thoreau, you know, who mm -hmm. he is, uh, I don't. I've loved his non-conform. I may not have agreed with all of his conclusions, but I loved his non-conformist attitude. Right? Yeah. I'm not going to conform. But I just feel like it's 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 come it's it's come naturally to me. That's good. And uh, although I used to be a conformer to everything, you know, mm -hmm. um, Christianity is done this way. You know, if you're not, you're going to hell. <laughs> like, or you weren't baptized at this point in time, you're you're going to hell. And and I'm just like, man, how could I going back? Like that's such a wrong way of thinking because it's a conformist <laughs> way of, of understanding who God is and I don't think there's a cookie cutter way of knowing who who God is I, I just think that there is multiple ways of acknowledging who is but I personally believe and I believe the objective truth is through Christ because that's just my personal uh, development in that um, but have you ever been religious at all? So I was raised in a Catholic family, sure. yeah. and so that I had that exposure uh, to to Christianity um, through Catholicism, and it was it it was absolutely fascinating to be a rebellious kind of child, mm -hmm. you know, in the sense yeah. that um, not not a troublemaker, you know, like getting out physically, getting in trouble, mm -hmm. but just um, thinking for myself. Uh, it. I remember one, so in, in Catholic circles, you know, you go to church on Sunday and then you go to this thing called CCD, which is sort of like uh, Sunday school mm -hmm. would be for other, for other religions. And I remember the teacher standing up uh, in front of the class and drawing a target on the wall, on the board, and the Catholics were in the center. 
and then like the Lutherans, I think, were next <laughs> out. And it, it went out and out, you know. Yeah. And the further you out from the center, the less likely you were to graduate to heaven, right? So um, they, these were the true believers in the center. And the more mistakes they made, you know, then they, they're... There's more that separated, yeah. they... And I'm like, wow, what a bizarre... You know, some of my, my best friends weren't Catholic. Wow. You know, I'm thinking, well, that's weird. You're going to send all these people to hell, you yeah. know, because they, <laughs> you know, to me, they were great people. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I found that a very odd uh, conception of what supposedly is this supreme being, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and I'm like, wow, okay, that, and so that that seemed odd to me to begin with, and um, I was I was an avid reader. Uh, so you know, as I got older, especially when I got like toward high school, um, you know, more and more things just weren't adding up to me. It made no sense what they were talking about in church. And it was interesting to watch people because they go to church on Sunday, and then you know, there's the typical I think there's a name for it, like Sunday Catholics yeah. or something like that. Um, you know, they live the rest of their life, and then they go to church on Sunday to act a certain way and to say things and then they go out and do that mm. thing again and there's no connection between the two whatsoever was that was and that the initial reasoning behind your maybe your a decision to move away from that sort of faith it certainly was enough to trigger me to start looking into the basis for it yep you know so i read the bible from cover to cover twice mm -hmm. it's like oh this is an interesting book i mean it's just, there's there's all kinds of stuff in there i mean there's sex there's violence there's wild stories there's long boring passages i mean there's this you know there's a conglomeration of things that's self-contradictory in many mm -hmm. places and even about the same accounts and things uh, so i went to college and i said well already i was significant doubter at that point mm -hmm. i'm like okay this is it, it you know you got logic on the one hand you got what the parents in the school or, t or the church are teaching on the other hand i said if anybody can solve the issue for me it's the priests at Notre Dame because these guys are educators, you know, they're, they're at the top of their level. So I got there and two things happened. One, I found out there were a lot of priests who had serious doubts about their own religion, mm -hmm. you know, which was eye-opening to me that, number one, that they had it, and secondly, that they would admit it. Um, so we had fascinating discussions and I give them a ton of credit for being at a, at a university level, being open to discussion. That's probably the biggest thing in the university at that time, and I don't. I hope they're still the same way. I don't know if they've fallen prey to the way the universities have gone. I, in from what I've been hearing, it's it's but gotten very you know, uh, yeah. Open discussion was encouraged, and it didn't matter how what your position was on any given topic. It was actively encouraged, and that was an exciting environment to be in. Um, and so, you know, the authorities didn't have the answers that I was looking for. And at the same time, um, I also had the opportunity to take a non-religious thought class, which to me was fascinating because that was the first time I had, so I knew all about all the branches of Christianity. I knew the history of, you know, Protestantism and Protestantism yeah. and, and, Catholic, and Catholicism and, yeah. and the breakup between the Eastern and Western Orthodox churches. And, you know, I, so I, I, I knew that history fairly well, but I really didn't know outside of me finding a book on um, some monks in the Himalayas, mm -hmm. which is where my original interest in, in, in mindfulness came from, in meditation. Um, I really didn't have any exposure to the non-Eastern religious thought. 
And that class was really interesting to me because now I could learn about Confucianism and Taoism and Buddhism and, and Hinduism and, um, and, and all of the other that, that were actually practiced by a majority of people. You know, there were more people doing or following those traditions than, than the, Christ, the Judeo-Christian mm -hmm. tradition. And um, so that, that was educational. It was eye-opening. It was interesting to see that so many people had so many thoughts about what was real and that they'd be willing to kill each other over it. Mm -hmm. And yet they weren't even close. Like, you know, how could... It was like, you know, starting to toss up coins and just, well, I'm going to pick one. You know, which one do you want to pick? And that was sort of the approach that was sort of implicit in this class as well. Which, which approach do you believe in? It's like, well what is the basis for making the approach? You know, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm more interested in just learning about reality, what's real. Um, so that was sort of the end of my time with religion, particularly organized religion per se. Um, and it was also a time when I learned that the language of spirituality, which is to say, um, you know, like there's something that you exalt in or that there is something that you um, find deeper meaning in and that, that that could be separated. So it's almost as though those words had been hijacked by religion. You know, you couldn't use them outside of a religious context. Um, but at the same time, I had this fascination with physics and sorry about that. Uh, but uh, this needs to be dismissed. And uh, so I had this fascination with, with physics, and I was learning about the universe and about physical laws and, and the strange, interesting phenomena of quantum mechanics and things like that. And um, to, 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 to learn that all the evidence points to us being created from star stuff. I mean, we're basically every element in our body comes from stars that are long dead and have exploded and spread. I mean, you start to see a unity in the universe mm -hmm. um, where, and this is, it's, this is almost contra to, the, to the, what we were talking about individualism, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is still an important political mm -hmm. philosophy, but you start to see like the cycle of nature. So, you know, things are born, things die, they become other things. Mm -hmm everything's merged together in this giant intricate web that's interconnected and to me that when when i think of awe i think of this universe that is so big that our human minds can't even wrap around the concept of, of a size you know distances so great that we can't even think about it we can put them down in numbers but they mean nothing to us and, and tiny things things that are so small that we again can put them down in numbers, but they make no dif they make no sense to us, mm -hmm. you know. Or you look at, um, you know, like a, something that exists as a particle and as a wave. It's like I can't wrap my mind around. I yeah, can see theoretically, it theoretically. Yeah, yeah. I can see it mathematically. I understand, but I don't understand on a conceptual. And, mm -hmm. it, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that our minds have an identity, right? They are what they are. We evolved. Our brains evolved for certain functions, 
and it wasn't to contemplate the other side of the universe or something so small that you'll never come into contact with mm -hmm. it, you know, and never know it. Um, but so that to me sort of in my life replaced um, religion. So it's, it, to me it's this phenomenal world that we live in and the ability to explore it at will and, and to learn about it and see that interconnectedness and realize me in my present form is going to die. I'm going to be gone someday. But parts of me are going to live on mm -hmm. in other things. I may be a tree. Mm -hmm. I may be dust on your floor. You know, not only do the physical parts of you go on, but your mental life goes on. So we exchange ideas. Mm -hmm. Something you say may trigger something in me. And I pass that on to somebody else and somebody else. You know, um, a thought that we have, something we've taught somebody. You teach your child something. He teaches his kids that. It goes on, you know. So you die, you go away, but parts of you keep going, you know. And it's almost more in common with the concept of reincarnation, mm -hmm. but different but not as a soul but more of an idea right it's, okay. so it's it's like everything about you goes on just in a different form and it and that cycle goes on forever mm -hmm. you know it, so you as the individual that you are fail to you know you don't exist any longer um, but you also don't just go away you live in other people's memories your ideas go on, your physical body goes on, not as a physical body, but the elements go on, they're never destroyed. The energy that makes you up goes on. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's that's to me, that, that answered my need for, wow, this is, I mean, you know, it's so phenomenal, so there's so much out there, there's so much to see and do, there's so much, um, you'll never learn it, you'll never understand it all, yeah. you know. Um, to me that replaced the whole so when I say I, you know, when I feel awe about something it's looking out at that nighttime sky that's just so vast as to be almost incomprehensible mm -hmm. um, or even looking across you know, a mountain range and thinking gosh I mean just you could spend your entire life exploring that mountain range I mean mm -hmm. I love the outdoors mm -hmm. um, and never see or learn at all you could spend your whole time studying what happens in a square foot of land, you know, down to the microbial level and never understand it all. Mm -hmm. To me, it's fascinating. Yep. So in terms of moving on after you die, uh, is it, do you, is your consciousness, consciousness erased or do you think it, <laughs> forms, it goes into a energy-based type of right, transformation? Right. So what happens to consciousness? That's a really good question. Um, and in part, and this is where you ha I feel at ease, I don't feel like I have to know the answer. Mm -hmm. I don't think we understand consciousness yet. Completely. You know, there's, I mean, obviously we don't understand consciousness. We know there's such a thing as consciousness. Um, and. But do you believe we are conscious beings? Do I believe that we're conscious beings? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. So uh, to me, um, I, I, to, so, I guess it depends on how you're going to describe conscious, but self-aware, aware of ourselves, aware of phenomena going on. Yeah, um, and having a 
that is like the base level, right? Being aware of our circumstances, having um, the ability to be influenced and have our own thought processes. Yeah. Um, creativity. That's creativity. Yeah, so, that is yeah. that's that's consciousness to me. That's proof so, of consciousness at least. So to me. consciousness. Yes. Yeah, so to me, um, creativity's definitely an attribute of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would also argue that free will is an attribute of consciousness. Volition, volitional behavior uh, is an attribute of consciousness. And we don't understand any of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the big mysteries, uh, you know, when they talk about programming AI, is that they don't know how to make something creative. You know, we're creative, but how does that happen? Um, and, and they don't know that yet. And it, do I think it's an answerable question? Yes, mm-hmm. I, I do. I, I think um, we are incredible problem solvers. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the human brain has evolved to be the problem solver, right? Mm-hmm. It, it has that capacity. All we lack right now is the proper technology or information to, to, to in, which is not to say that it can't ultimately be learned about. Um, but like, you know, I think you, you've mentioned Sam Harris before. And, mm-hmm. I think he ins- he will right, tell you that the book. one thing, yeah, <laughs> You're right, right, oh, yes. So free will. So that's an excellent book if you want to learn about free will. Um, I I will verbalize my disagreements mm-hmm. with him, but um, so Sam, I appreciate Sam in so many ways because he's a good thinker. Mm-hmm. He really is, and he's not afraid to speak his mind, uh, which is very cool. And he will tell you that the one thing he is most certain about is that he's conscious right he's probably less certain that he's got a body than he is conscious right so he's almost he's almost that primacy of consciousness like kind of thinking as opposed to primacy of existence but um, so I think that you can't even argue about whether consciousness exists or not exists or not without assuming that it exists like you, just in the very fact that you think that you're here talking to me (laughs) about something tells you that something exists Mm -hmm. you know and and that we're conscious that something exists so we're aware of something that's existing um so yeah that's a long way to answer your question that i do believe that we're conscious creatures okay so what happens to consciousness so i don't know um i feel like consciousness is a Uh, like an epiphenomenon so mm-hmm. it's it's ex- there's interesting experiments where if you have split brain patients do you know what split brain patients are? I've seen the movie Split <laughs> so in, in in days of old when people had yeah. seizures that were uncontrolled yeah. and, I, and I think maybe it even still happens um, to some degree now you can cut the corpus callosum, which is the connecting section between the two hemispheres mm-hmm. of your brain. You can separate it and create two separate brains, a mm-hmm. left hemisphere and a right hemisphere. And if you examine those people, they appear to have now two consciousnesses, two consciousnesses. And they are not aware of one another's existence. And so... Well, if I'm getting this right, in a single patient, they divided the brain in, in half Right, when they and had you can speak to 
you can communicate with either the left hemisphere or the right hemisphere of that person depending on so let's say for example that the that the right hemisphere of their body controls um, their writing of the capability in the mm -hmm. left hemisphere of their vocal. Yep, they have different options, um, yeah. They can write something and not be aware that they wrote it on the other side of their body. They can look at it and say somebody else wrote that. Mm -hmm. um, and you can carry on in entire communications with them the brains, yeah. and they don't they're not aware that they're two separate people now mentally so they almost appear to have they have a conscious experience so they're having they're an awareness of what's going on and they're aware of their actions that are controlled by that side of their brain but they're completely ignorant of what's happening on the other side and they can't connect those two together so that kind of an experiment tells me that there's a number one that there's a brain based origin to our consciousness mm -hmm. um, and secondly <laughs> that we don't understand where it comes from but it is actually divisible which is really weird and you know so how far is it divisible divisible who knows um, probably not very far but there's probably and, and, and if you look into the research on consciousness there's probably multiple centers in your brain mm -hmm. that have like a mini consciousness and they combine together to form this consciousness that we recognize mm -hmm. as a consciousness. We can't separate it out in our mind, um, but it appears that they arise from different portions of the brain and work together. I mean, if, if that's the case, then cell division is division of consciousness because we give birth to children and they have their own conscience. So they do have their own consciousness, yeah. but if it is brain-based, then those cells that divide don't actually have consciousness. It's not until they've actually developed a, 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 right, a, a the some sort of a neurological yeah. basis for consciousness. And I would argue that it's not just your brain. It probably is your brain plus like the receptors in your body, you hear things, you see things. Mm -hmm. It's hard to put a physical dimension on consciousness because mm -hmm. consciousness is not really a thing more than it is an action or an attribute um, but don't you think I mean since evolution is something that we both uh, like recognize mm -hmm. is an evolution going in a direction of consciousness because everything wants to create a, a state of consciousness through neural structures and brains and um, ability to find mm -hmm. resources so I don't know if everything is going toward consciousness. I think that it clearly in the case of humans, and it, it probably occurs in lower order animals mm -hmm. as well to some degree, um, that there's a survival benefit for it mm -hmm. or it would not have developed. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, but I don't know if that's like okay we're moving in that direction so evolution is evolution is so random mm -hmm. you know I mean it's just it's it's errors that happen in your genetic code and if that error turns out to be a good thing for that organism or that gene actually um, then it'll be replicated again. Mm -hmm. If it turns out to have lesser survival value, then it it's going to doesn't. Mesh, yeah. it, it doesn't. Um, so I, I think I'd be hesitant to say 
for myself that that consciousness is the direction that things want to evolve in. I think it's just the way that some things have evolved and found it to be a survival benefit. So the survival benefit, does it come, do you believe that it stems off of being conscious? Because you have to be conscious enough to know if you have predators around you or develop, I mean, butterflies develop eyes behind their wings, right, you know, right. I mean, something has to be conscious enough to, to evolve in that direction so they don't get attacked or they don't get um, predated on. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of how I personally like view things in terms of consciousness is because in terms of survival we have to we have to be conscious we mm. can't be unconscious and survive then we're just going to be a dead body right before, right right you know? um i don't even know where i was going with this <laughs> <laughs> but but in going back to the the idea of religion mm-hmm. um since we believe that you probably heard this argument multiple times but since we've we are conscious beings and we create right isn't there a higher conscious being that does create as well? So I guess I would want to know why there would have to be a higher being just because we're conscious. So if mm-hmm. our consciousness is truly an evolutionary trait, and it's a, a, a an emergent property of our brain, mm-hmm. um, why does that imply that there has to be a higher consciousness? A higher consciousness to and what does higher mean in that in that mm-hmm. um, and some, statement? Yeah, something I believe is that like we're capable of producing life, right? And with that, as humans, we know that once there is a child that's born, they're gonna have their own capability of being creative as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a physical understanding that there, when life is created, consciousness is also a result of life. Mm-hmm. So when we evolved from whatever we evolved mm-hmm. from, everything had a conscious, everything had consciousness for us to get to where we are today. So in terms of the origin of consciousness, even that had to be somehow tra- like given down, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, only consciousness can give consciousness. That's that's what I believe. Okay. So. If only unless we're conscious, that's the only way we can give conscious mm-hmm. through uh, through childbearing, and that's the same way I believe. Even though, like I believe that there was intent in for us to be alive, to for us to flourish, mm-hmm. there was something that had to be conscious enough to offer that. You know, it could be. I mean, if you think a Big Bang, if the Big Bang does have conscience, mm-hmm. then I believe it's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, that's the origin of where I believe um, consciousness comes from, because there has to be something conscious enough to to bestow conscious down downwards. That's what I. That's my answer to Okay. It. Yeah. So my suspicion, yeah. and I don't, you know, I, I don't. I don't know if this is true, true or not. Yeah. So I think of consciousness as a evolutionary phenomena mm-hmm. that shows up at some level. Now, how far down does it go? I don't know. Um, are dogs conscious? Yeah, I think they are. Um, are frogs conscious? Okay. Maybe at some little level. Is a mycelium conscious? Uh, now I doubt it. You know, I, 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 is it... So, you know, there's the, the classical statement that consciousness means 
that you can say that it's like something to be that animal. Um, uh, is it like something? Is there a is there a phenomenal world um, or sensory world that it's like to be a bacterium? I don't think there is, but I don't know that. Um, and maybe it does extend that far down. But at some point, the complexity and the uh, organization of our neurological network, our brain and our sensory organism, um, becomes, it reaches that state where consciousness kind of emerges from it as a property. Okay. So I, I view it as an emergent property. Okay. So emergent properties are properties that an organized thing has that its subordinate parts don't have. Okay. Um, and so that's why I would speak as consciousness as kind of an emergent property. So like you could look at the chemical structure of the brain all you wanted and you couldn't find consciousness. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it's organized into what it is, mm -hmm. it has this phenomenon of mm -hmm. consciousness and s one of the attributes of consciousness is creativity um, at least as I understand it and and so that's what's so fascinating about it is I don't think we have good answers about that yet you know I mean I think yeah. we're probing it we're looking what the heck? you know what is consciousness and what is creativity and what is volition um, it doesn't even exist Sam Harris would argue that volition doesn't exist mm -hmm. that we are determined from the origin of the universe onward. Mm -hmm. There's just one cause following another cause following another cause, and you can never alter from what the universe has prescribed for, for you. you. Yeah. Yeah. In which case, he has no choice but to believe in the absence of free will. Mm -hmm. Because he, because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. he has no free choice about mm -hmm. that. Um, and, and, and so that raises all sorts of interesting questions mm -hmm. about well then, if you have no choice, then are you responsible for your behaviors? Um, what does ethics mean? What does morality mean if you don't have any choice? Mm -hmm. um, so the raises really fascinating questions and important questions. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and he goes through all kinds of almost acrobatics. Uh, once he says there is no such thing as free choice, but it still matters what you do. That makes an interesting argument in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Kind of contradicts itself. Yeah, 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 it really does. And and I think so. If you if you read his book, which is just an excellent book on it, mm -hmm. if you want to understand the determinist viewpoint, um, why there's no such thing as free will, I think his book does a better job of explaining it than any other source that I've found. Mm -hmm. And it's short. I mean, you can read it in a few hours. So it's a great explanation, and he covers a lot of territory, and a lot of it is, I'm 100% agree with. Mm -hmm. So, if you practice mindfulness for very long, as you have, um, you will come to see number one. One of the very first things that you learn is that thoughts just arise mm -hmm. seemingly out of nowhere, um, and he plays very heavily upon that. It's like you have no control over what your next thought's going to be. Mm -hmm. um, you also see the same phenomena happening a lot of times with emotion, um, or just 
seems to just pop up and you're questioning, well, I had no control over that. You know, something happened, I was happy, you know. Um, so so I, I understand that argument. I get the basis of it. Here's where I think he goes off the tracks. And it's interesting to me because he is by far a more advanced meditator, you know, and, 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 and I think part of it, and I hate to put, I hate to put thoughts in his head, you know, because I don't know what he's thinking about these things, um, but much of the determinist um, approach to free will is a reaction to the religionists, to the mystics, approach to free will. So free will, in, at least in Christianity, is crazy important, right? If you don't have free will, you know, it, it doesn't make much sense to say, well, you have to do this, you have to do that. And, um, the science, a lot of scientists tend to be determinists. They're very, this happens, then this happens, then this happens, and there's a causal, causal explanation mm -hmm. all the way down. Um, do, do you mind uh, giving your definition of free will? So yeah, so uh, volition or free will for me is the choice to, well, so I'll, I'll tell you what I, how this is going to kind of tie into where I disagree with them. So to me, the fundum, fundamental um, choice, the fundamental action that we have is to focus, just to focus. And you actually see that in meditation which is interesting to me that he never addresses this concept. So when you meditate, you, it, uh, for, in this example, we're gonna use the kind of meditation where you're, you, you know, you've, you've, sat, you've, you've sat down, you're trying to relax, you're paying attention to what's arising, and you notice that things arise, and you get distracted, the thought grabs your attention, and you, at some point, it may be, three seconds after the thought grabs your attention, or it might be 10 minutes, or you know, you're going down this chain of thought, and all of a sudden you forget, oh, I'm supposed to be meditating. And you bring your focus back onto your breathing. If you feel how that feels, uh, so it feels one way to meditate and feel your thoughts arising. They just seem to spontaneously come up. Sometimes emotions will do that too. Sounds just arise sights just arise. You have no control over them. They just happen. But it takes a mental effort, it takes energy to focus back on your breathing or on some other effort. It feels different. There's that feeling of, oh, I'm focusing. So now let's expand that to sustained focus. So you can train yourself to focus longer and longer and longer on things. And so the critical portion of free will to me the initial stage is that focus, but fundamentally it's thinking. It's the process of thinking, which ta takes a sustained effort of thought. Uh, I'm sorry, a sustained effort of focus to think about something. So right now I'm trying to sustain an effort on explaining what I think um, free will is. I can feel the effort that that takes to do that, to sustain my focus and not oh, look out the window or, you know, look at your beard or, you know, something. So um, there's a sustained effort of focus and then there's thinking. 
And this is where creativity comes in. So our brains, or at least our consciousness, whatever consciousness is, appears to have the ability to be creative, which means we can propose alternative thoughts to things, and we can test those thoughts against reality to pick out what's right or wrong. And we may have a thought that's never been had before. Clearly, inventions happen. Things are thought up that nobody else has thought about. Um, e equals mc squared. Who ever thought about that? You know, Einstein comes up with this interesting formulation. Um, the fact that we can create something that doesn't previously exist, and it only comes about through a sustained effort of focus, rational thinking, so thinking up alternatives, there has to be alternatives, there has to be more than one solution, and you choose amongst those solutions. Um, you come up with new ideas. Uh, are you familiar with what a meme is? M-E-M-E. -E. Yeah. Um, so a meme, so a guy by the name of Richard Dawkins first popularized mm -hmm. the, this concept of memes. They're little thoughts, right, or, or ideas. And they talk about them passing from mind to mm -hmm. mind um, in a way similar to but different from the way that our genes pass on. So our genes pass on from generation to generation. Memes also can pass on from generation to generation. Um, but those memes or ideas or thoughts, so they matter. Your behavior is going to be in part determined by the ideas you hold in your head, your value structure, your um, goals, your dreams, your aspirations. Those things aren't physical things. Those are thoughts. Those are ideas that you hold. And yet they have the power to determine your ideas, your actions. And so because we have a consciousness of a certain kind, we have a conceptual consciousness, we're based on concepts, and we probably have to have language to have that conceptual concept. Um, we are not only influenced by what happens to us, but by the ideas that we create or the ideas that we accept. Now, are all the ideas that you have in your mind ideas that you've thought about and create and accepted? No. We've accepted an enormous, passively accepted an enormous quantity of information from the world around us, from our people, from our culture. Um, and to that degree, we're not free. So when he talks about how your background matters, where you were born, it matters whether your parents cared to educate you or not. It matters whether you grew up in a superstitious household or a very science-focused household. It matters whether you were born in um, India or you were born in France or you were born in the United States or you were born in the Soviet Union. Um, so yes, those things matter. There's no question about it and you have no control over that. You have no control over the ideas that you've passively accepted. And some people are full of ideas that they've passively accepted. Some of us, if we've put forth that effort to focus and to think, we're, we have at least a portion of our thoughts that we've controlled. And 
when I perform my next action, to the degree that I've got ideas in my mind, that I've got valid values that I've established for myself, to that degree, I'm free. I'm not free to escape the circumstances that I was brought up with. Mm -hmm. I'm not free to escape um, what happens in my environment around me. I'm not free to necessarily choose all of the thoughts that arise at a given time. But notice that in his argument, he uses the state of being, meditation, where you have decreased your focus to the lowest degree possible. And you are simply observing what's happening. You're exerting no effort whatsoever. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is the point in your life or that is the state that you have put yourself in that you're least likely to experience free will. I would think you would want to look at those times when you're trying to exert the most free will, when you're sustaining focus on something, when you're thinking hard about something. If I say to you, two plus two, your mind goes four. If I say Mary had a little, you say lamb, yeah. right? Those pop up out of your brain. You have no, that just happens. Mm -hmm. If I say to you, what is 237 divided by 53? You can figure that out, yeah. but you're going to work at it. Mm -hmm. You're going to, oh, I'm going to get my calculator out. Let me get a piece <laughs> of paper out, right? You're going to have to have sustained focus. You can feel that difference going on in your mind. Mm -hmm. To me, that's a totally different thing than, a mo than an idea just popping up in your mind. In his podcast on the same topic, he says, um, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to, to answer to yourself. He's like, so name, give me the name of a movie. So a movie pops up. And then he says, give me the name of another movie. And another movie pops up. And he goes, see, if you weren't free, if you, if you weren't free in that moment, when will you ever be free, you know, to make a choice? And I'm like, well, he's just told you not to exert any effort whatsoever except to recall the first movie that pops up in your mind. So that's not an argument against free will to me. That's an observation of the way your mind works when you're not concentrating, when you're not focusing. Um, but I find that very questionable as an argument against volition or free will. Mm -hmm. So you see what I'm, yeah, where yep. I'm making the mm -hmm. difference? Yep. And so I agree with him that a lot of what we commonly think is free will, if you ask the average person off the street, well, were you free, you know, to pick up that snowball or nothing? They're like, yeah, I'm free to do that, you know? Um, you know, do you freely choose all your actions? Sure, I'm free. Most people don't even have that concept that most of what happens in their mind they don't have any control over. You know, it's just happening. Um, but I disagree that it's all just happening. You know, so I think that we do, and the more that we commit to focusing, the more that we stay in full focus, meaning we're taking in the whole context of the situation, we're trying to form a thought, being as rational as possible. The more you do that over time, so if you were the kind of person that did that from the time you were six years old, and you thought about everything you could, when you are 70 years old, you're going to be much more in control 
of your life than the person who just drifted along mm -hmm. and passively accepted the things that happened to them, passively accepted the thoughts of their tribe. Um, they're buffeted by forces they don't understand. Mm -hmm. um, they don't have a true moral compass. It's just whatever their environment has pushed into them. So there's a difference between that person and the person that's committed to following some sort of logical development. Mm -hmm. And there's a third kind of person. There's the person that evades that effort. So the person who knows that the evidence says uh, A, and I believe B, I'm not even going to look at that evidence. So that's like actively trying to destroy your, mm -hmm. your ability to think rationally and your future ability to function as a human in its fullest sense. Yeah, I'd, going back to the idea of conforming, mm -hmm. right? Because that influence plays a, especially when it comes to um, free will. Uh, people, their definition of free will is the ability to make a choice right. based on what they want to do, right? Mm -hmm. But not a lot of people, um, Sam talks a lot about influence as well, mm -hmm. right? And that's where I am able to, that's one place I, you know, I agree with him on. And the other place is the ability to be influenced, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I believe I'm a spirit, which is consciousness, mm -hmm. uh, in a meat suit, pretty mm -hmm. much, mm -hmm. right? So that's what I believe. Um, and I have the ability to be influenced. So you can say something in terms of, like we initially talked about, being able to um, convince another person and able an ability to be convinced as well, right? So I think that it's, that is a natural way of um, of perceiving things. For example, like if if you say something, um, for example, if you say two plus two is four, right? Mm -hmm. um, in my mind, I'm like, I heard it was five somewhere else, mm -hmm. but then you mathematically show it to me that it was four, and I'm like, even though it is in my head, I know it's true, mm -hmm. I can consciously make myself believe that it is five right but that is a that is contradictory to what is actually true mm -hmm. right so there is there is truth and then there is what I believe there is truth and there is free will right so when I'm influenced by a truth um, from an external source mm -hmm. I can that truth causes me to act a certain way. For example, uh, if the external truth is just like telling me, "Hey, if if you will do all the dishes today, your wife will be mm -hmm. a little less burdened," mm -hmm. right? So it's a external thought that 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 shows me, "Hey, there's a consequence to your action," mm -hmm. um, and. The influence is what makes me believe that there is a s a not a necessary free will to to independently make a decision that I want to do something. It's all based on influence. Either it's good or evil, right or wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, I can be influenced by good, and I can also be influenced by evil. Right. Right. And what I tell Christians that who want to stone me for saying this, mm -hmm. is that 
there is no free will, either influenced by the devil or influenced by, by God. And you, it's a perception given by Satan to think that you do have free will to play God on your own. Mm-hmm. But you believe that you have a free will and you can choose God or you can choose Satan. No, but it's either you're in, according to Christian standards, I don't know why people have a hard time understanding this, is that you're born into sin, right? Um, so technically that means like you are under the influence of the evil one until the influence of God changes your mind otherwise. So that's that's where my conception of you don't have a free will. You you're only you're only able to act on based on influence. Um, and that simplicity has ha- personally helped me understand that the more influence I have of one, the action based on that influence is what I'm going to do more. So if I'm constantly influenced by evil, then my actions are going to be influenced, uh, are going to be evil. So, yeah. So, I'm not sure that I'm understanding completely. Yeah. So, you feel that you are influenced by both good and evil. Yes. But you don't have a choice over which influence you're going to follow. There is no, there is not specifically a choice. So the more you, more you're influenced by one side, mm-hmm. the more actions you will automatically do. I mean, there is influence is also obedience in, in my eyes. Okay. So you're you're a slave to either or, right? Um, the more you're influenced by evil, the more you're a slave to uh, to evil, and the actions come out of you through that through that light. Um, so the choice does not determine. You don't you don't choose between good and evil. Mm-hmm. Your the what is more prevalent in your life is what gives you uh, is what determines your action. So you are. The picture that I'm getting is that you are somewhat buffeted choicelessly by the forces of good and evil, mm-hmm. and you will either be good or evil depending on which one wins the battle. Correct. So if, if for example, you, no, you have no influence in it. You yeah, no I have no in influence in it. It's it's more of like the more somehow I hear a truth about something right? for mm-hmm. example I hear, the, I hear the truth about Christ and what he's done for my mm-hmm. life based on that truth there's something that goes on internally um, to influ- influence me to like hey I should probably know a little bit more about that um, mm-hmm. and then that influence causes you to dig more and dig more and dig more and then I come to a place where like I am meditating on it mm-hmm. based on listening to something that I heard somebody else say then I'm getting more and more understanding about it. The more I, more influence one thing has over me, the less influence the other thing does have over me. Because I can also be influenced completely by evil as well, to the point where like something, something else has no power over me because I'm constantly influenced by one side of mm-hmm. the spectrum. So free will, in my uh, point of view, is the ego. Mm-hmm. It's just a whole different, <laughs> whole different topic, because I think ego is something is a is, is almost like a blindfold. Mm-hmm. You're thinking 
you're making all these choices for yourself, mm-hmm. but you just don't realize that we are we are you know influenced by an external force, um, and that's why Christians sort of have this understanding: oh, I can choose God, or I can choose. Uh, Satan, and I'm like no, like <laughs> until that influence of Christ has completely overtaken your heart, um, you're still a subject to evil. You know, you're still a subject to the evil forces of this earth, and only that outside influence can help you escape the evil forces from what you're already bound by. And from you're probably familiar with the story of like you know Christ came that mm-hmm. uh, he can break that bond from you that bond that you have with Satan so that he can bring you into his camp and then that if since ever since that happens you can be constantly influenced through him that you could still that you could follow according to his will that's it's kind of so, what I look at it as so you you would be in agreement with Sam that you have no free will yes but you would be in disagreement over why you have no free will. Yes. So he thinks of it as being a deterministic, mm-hmm. or a deterministic, deterministic mechanism, mm-hmm. and you view it as a battle between two different consciousnesses, Correct. basically. Correct. And that you're a helpless pawn in that, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and I w- in terms of helpless pawn, I would say, do you see the benefits to your life? But you can't change it. You can't change it because you're constantly influenced by by a force. So that has interesting implications that mm-hmm. parallel Sam's implications. Mm-hmm. So if the individ- if the average individual has no control mm-hmm. and they're they're a pawn of good and evil forces mm-hmm. pulling on them, then you can't hold them responsible for their actions. Correct. So if people people are going to do evil things that they're in their fallen state, okay. and that's something that we cannot uh, we can't call somebody out because they're. For example, if somebody is blind, right, and you mm-hmm. put them in a room with glass, the stuff that breaks, mm-hmm. and then they like try to feel and they like push everything down, mm-hmm. it's almost like you can't blame them they're literally in a they're blind and they're handicapped and they don't know how to go about without breaking things mm-hmm. but if you put them there long enough they can be influenced by the environment to know how to walk through that through that um, room without breaking things mm-hmm. right so there is a there is an influence so if if you're constantly influenced by an external source then you can walk through that you can walk through life without having to break things on your way so that's how I that's how I look at it that you can you are capable of living a life that has no evil within it Mm -hmm. if you're constantly influenced by by good so and that's that's the reason why I believe free will doesn't exist um and that's how I believe Christians did mm. exist in back in the day because they were they were heavily influenced by God and not their own thought processes. So that's if okay. if that makes sense at all. It's an interesting concept, so I've not heard it expressed that way. So yeah. what I'd love to hear is you and Sam Harris talk about because you both had the same. <laughs> yeah, I feel like <laughs> Sam Harris is so close to knowing. I think that would be yeah, fun. I feel like Sam Harris 
know knows 100% that there is something out there mm-hmm. that I but I don't think he's confident enough to say it. That's what I think. <laughs> he is a classic <laughs> believer. <laughs> because you 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 can't you can't be so close to something uh, some because he says I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know where it comes from. But the reason why he says I don't know is because he I believe that he does not want to accept completely without full evidence that he's been influenced mm-hmm. by something spiritual. But although he I believe he he dabbles in a lot of psychedelics. Yeah, he does. And uh, from that, I don't understand why you kind of have a hard time believing that because those things can directly lead you into a a dimension where that you can you can physically see things so that are not earthly. He talks about how psychedelics. Have you read his book on um, oh? He has a book on where he talks about uh, about meditation. I'm trying to think what the name of it is. Let me look it up real quick. Yeah. At any rate, yeah. Um, he talks about how psychedelics played a role in his becoming interested in meditation mm. um, because it opened up experiences that he uh, it's the awakening. Awakening. Waking up. Waking, waking up. up. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a that's a good book to read also. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he he talks about how as a youngster his his experimentation with psychedelics um, opened up to him the possibility that you could um, experience consciousness at a different level mm-hmm. uh, than what you, you do in everyday life, and he wanted to know was there a way to reliably obtain that experience um, through non-chemical means, mm-hmm. which is what you know a lot of uh, mindfulness practitioners will tell you that, that they can experience that. And he said, you know, taking psychedelics was a surefire way to get to get there. Um, and I believe in one of his podcasts, and I may be have, I may be confusing him with somebody else, but they said it's really interesting because if you give people psychedelics, they will all. It, one thing you're guaranteed to do is have a, a radically different experience than anything mm-hmm. you've ever had, but you will interpret your experience based on your background. So, if you are a religious person, you will see religious implications in that mind-blowing experience that you had. Um, if you are interested in, you know, mindfulness and in these an ath- and more of an atheist, then you will have a different interpretation of what you see, um, and and how. But how it just like that whole. I've, I've never had a psychedelic, so I don't know. If I was going to take any drug, that would be the thing I would want to do. Mm-hmm. I think would be to take a psychedelic, just because it. It would be interesting to know how your brain functions when parts of your mind are being and what connection like it makes to the outer metaphysical world. It, you know, just like that. what is that? You yeah. know, and, and how different is that from a deep meditative experience? Mm-hmm. You know, is 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 it qualitatively different, or is it just a faster route to get to that same place? Yeah, but it still access the physical part of our brain. Right, that that the chemical does induce a yeah, certain part of our brain. Yeah, it's just making a chemical change in your brain and, and releasing some inhibition, or yep. it's altering your mentation in some fashion. But do you think that you can 
achieve that sort of experience without um, through mindfulness? So from my understanding, you can. Mm -hmm. And so I've had odd mental experiences with meditation, but because I have never, the only way I would know to answer that completely would be to take a, a hallucinogenic mm -hmm. and then say, and oh, that was the same, yeah. you know? Yep. Otherwise I'm just guessing, I really don't know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you, it, according to him, it, you can achieve the same, but it takes an immense amount of investment, you know, time-wise and effort-wise um, to achieve it through meditation. It's apparently for some people more so than others. Mm -hmm. you know, some people find it very easy, some people find it much more difficult. Um, whereas he says, you know, if you take the chemical, you're guaranteed to have an experience. Now it might be a bad experience, because mm -hmm. that, that's the, the warning that, that these people always give you is that, yeah, you know, you might have this mind alter, you, you will have a mind altering experience, but it might might not be good, <laughs> you know, I mean, it might be very good. Mm -hmm. uh, and in, in the research now where they're doing like even micro dosing of it for mental health Yeah, they're doing it all over in California. Yeah. I mean, it's so yeah. cool. I mean, mm -hmm. they might be able to solve problems that, that they just have not been able to do up to this point. Mm -hmm. uh, so in terms of the, uh, the explanation that I offered for free will, do you see any holes in that argument? Um, so I don't have the religious influence, right? I mean, sure. I, don't, I don't come from that that angle. Um, but good and evil, does that come from religion? So good and evil, uh, boy. So I don't, I don't define good and evil as like pre-existing consciousnesses. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, so it, I guess it depends a little bit on oh, how before, you're going to Before you go ahead, do, do you want to take a break or do you want to yeah, keep on going? Oh, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I have no okay, idea yeah. what we're, where we even are. But, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I don't, uh, the, the question of good predisposes the, the question of good for whom. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it, it's so good is sort of a, an abstract term that's thrown out, you know, and um, so I always try to narrow it down. And when, when somebody says, well, good and evil, I'm like, well, good, good meaning what? Good for, for who? Because what's good for you might not be good for me. Um, there, so you don't believe in objective yeah. uh, morality? It's more subjective? So, no, I believe in an objective morality in that if you look at reality, if I look and study reality, I can make an objective decision about what would be in my best interest long-term as a human being. Sure. Um, so I differentiate dramatically between what would bring me happiness in this moment and what leads to my long-term flourishing as a human being. Um, so I'm willing to postpone instant gratification for a long-range objective if it's in my long-term interest. Um, but I don't have a good, uh, I guess I don't believe in a just a generic good. You know, like there's just a good that exists. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, so to me, what's good for me is to live in a society where people are rational, where people respect my freedom, where people uh, 
um, act as individuals uh, where I can do what I want to do as long as I'm not stomping on somebody else's freedom. Um, you know, so I guess you could say something like freedom in that sense is an objective value. Um, and if I was going to call anything, I'd say that was good. For a criminal, it might not be good. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they want to they want to violate my mm -hmm. rights. Um, so I don't have uh, so I, so I do think in a, as things as being an objective morality, but I think I also probably differentiate or define morality different than a lot of people. So I think a lot of people think of morality as um, or ethics as they see it as one of two things. One is um, sort of a philosophical game that you know you play when you when you take philosophy class and they say well you have five people in a lifeboat and you have food for four people who you can throw overboard you know mm -hmm. like like ethics is a game you know and it only applies to these extreme situations and then you have another group of people who think that ethics is something that's handed down to you from an external reality so from either um, a religious figure, you know, a god of some sort, or from, so let's say that you are a communist, um, then ethics is what the state determines mm -hmm. is good for you. Um, and, and your preferences don't really matter. Um, I don't view it as handed down from above or from an outside influence, and I don't view ethics as a game. I view ethics as my deepest ability to determine what's right and wrong for me. Okay. So ethics is an everyday guide to my actions. And it doesn't sit out here uh, and only influence the big decisions in, mm -hmm. in life. It's yeah. like, is it of a value to me to come talk to you today? Um, yeah. You know, because why? Well, so my kind of command of myself is to always try to be the best person I can be and to try to get better mm -hmm. with time and at the same time I want to influence the world in a way that's so I want to create the best world around me as possible too and I think um, talking to people that are find rational like yourself um, and that want to promote what's good in whatever sense that might be, but you know they want to they want to try to understand, I guess, each other and, and, and want to understand a deeper truth about things. Um, that to me is beneficial. So, in, in playing in my, you know, I'm just giving you an example mm -hmm. of how ethics plays a role in my life. So, it's me focused, but that doesn't mean that it excludes people around me. So I find great value in other people, mm -hmm. you know, because. Their, their world that I live in and and they bring great value to me I learn from them um, you know I can have a romantic relationship with my wife um, it's a great value to my life uh, friends social interactions all those sorts of things but to me to me ethics is an ongoing study and it's very personal and very it's every decision that I make is grounded in some sort of ethical framework that mm -hmm. I develop and again I do that over time by thinking so it's okay. a chosen it's a chosen code of values okay so do you believe uh, 
morality is in a state of evolution? Yes, in the sense that things change, our environment change, we change our environment, we have mm -hmm. new technological advances, and your ethics or morality has to in some way change to encompass those new things that you never even thought of before. So in that sense, I think it evolves. Mm -hmm. um, over a long time period, I think the idea of ethics evolves. So before, let's say the Enlightenment um, and then the Renaissance, the whole idea of people as individuals didn't really exist. I mean, in, in a grand sense, in a, in a common sense, it was more you were part of a tribe and that you were a cog in the wheel. And so that redefined what ethics could be. You know, now it can be the flourishing of an individual mm -hmm. and how can we make every individual flourish to the greatest capacity. That would be unthinkable to somebody in the dark ages, right? They had no concept of that. And the, to go back to our opening conversation about the founding of America, the founding fathers were deeply influenced by that enlightenment philosophy, but America could never have been born in you know, the 1300s or the 1200s. That philosophy didn't exist. And that kind of morality didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So I think the answer is yes to your question, can morality evolve over time? I think it can evolve both in the shorter term changes in the environment, changes in our technology, changes in reality around us, and in the longer term, you know, just changes in human beings as a mm -hmm. whole, you know, the memes that operate in, in, our, in our mind, yeah. I mean, to, to give an example of what you just said, like, just going back to the concept of, uh, of slavery, right, back in the mm -hmm. day, that was such a, a, a normal thing, it had nothing to do with morality. Right. Right. And I guess when the West, um, the Western world, America was one of the few countries that started abolishing slavery. I think Brit Britain, Britain did first, and then America started doing that as well. But they still had a lot of slavery going on in the Middle East because oh, sure. they were the highest exporter of slaves. Um, and it still exists. Yeah, and still exists. But when it comes to America, although slavery is abolished, we're slaves to different things, right? Everybody's a slave now. Right. <laughs> yeah, in a way of speaking. Yeah, yes. we are slaves to a debt. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Uh, we are slaves to our technology. We are slaves to media and influence. Um, but does that mean that, like, okay, f for example, when they abolished slavery, it, ha it had to do with, okay, we can't allow um, one race to be superior than the other race and dominate. Somebody had that thought process That's right. right and Abraham Lincoln came and did what his, his uh, the great deed that he did but when when are people going do you think it's a constant state of awakening that people are going to be like hey we we all can't be slaves to money now we can't can't all be slaves to media now is does morality is morality something that people get awakened to or is that is that always there but people aren't confident to talk about it. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so there's a difference. So I think there's a difference 
between um, human enforced slavery and things that we become slaves to by our actions. So, like, like our computers don't have a will of their own, uh, you know, that we're slave to them. It, we'll, Isn't that a medium? You, know, it's, do you don't think that's a medium? So, um, I think that there are people that try to manipulate us through those medias, like mm -hmm. we were talking about mm -hmm. social media, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but they don't, like I can turn my social media off. They can't do anything about it. If I was a slave to another human, mm -hmm. um, I don't have any choice about that. I mean, I can try to escape, mm -hmm. uh, but that's another moral agent directly controlling me. Mm -hmm. um, now, it is true that advertisers are trying to directly control you, right, through through your media. Yep. Um, and I think that our defense against that is learning what they're up to. <laughs> but some people escape, some people don't, right? Like, right, Like yeah. you and me, we have found a way to escape those crutches, mm -hmm. but there are so many people that are have that haven't escaped that right. those crutches and see that leads me back to that whole thing about do you choose to focus do you sure. choose to think um, you have you've chosen to or at least I would say you have chosen to think about the influence that social media was having on your life and do something about it um, and I don't the vast majority of people don't do that, right? They're passive followers. But you don't think it's an act of enlightenment? Um, well, like the, like the yeah. all of a sudden something. Yeah. Well, sure, yeah, I do. I mean, I think so. That understanding, I think there is a, um, you have that aha moment mm -hmm. where you're like, huh, this isn't good for me. You know? To be honest, it was when I deleted the Facebook app, I mm -hmm. didn't delete my account. But they started text messaging me saying that he had notifications. I no was like, kidding. this is done. I don't want to be bothered. Like, I feel like I was constantly bothered and bullied. Mm -hmm. And it took, I went through eight different web pages before I could delete my Facebook. They oh made it so gosh. hard. They're like, do you want to do this? Are wow. you sure? Uh, what about all these pictures? What about all these memories? Are you going to mm -hmm. give this up? And they, I literally felt like I was signing my rights away. That's fascinating. It was wild. Yeah, go ahead. No, yeah. no, I think that's really interesting. I, it, the clutches that it gets you around. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, to a degree, yeah. And, and so, I mean, you, you clearly you're influenced by your environment. Mm -hmm. We have no choice but to be influenced to some degree mm -hmm. uh, by our environment. But I think we have some control over that as well, if we're willing to exert the effort to do that. And I don't think a lot of people are, mm -hmm. you know, I think, and again, I think that leads back to where they taught to think critically, where they taught to pay attention to what's going on. Do they value their own life or do they value what other people think about them? Mm -hmm. And that's a critical difference. It's a critical difference. You know, do you, do you find self-worth in who you are because of what you've accomplished, what you've done, what you think, um, or do you find your self-worth because I like you. Um, people on social media gave you 15 likes today. Um, you know, 10,000 people listen to your podcast. You know, uh, we are heavily, heavily influenced to try to do the latter. That, like, to advertisers, the very best thing that could happen to them is that you allow yourself to be influenced by external factors. The more you fight against it, the harder it is for them to convince you to buy their product.
Mm -hmm. so I don't feel like I'm needing something, you know, I don't feel deficient because I don't have product A, you know, oh, look at that advertisement where they're sailing in the sunset and, you know, they have a billion dollars and it's all because they bought that perfume. Well, you know, maybe you should buy that perfume. Uh, that's the whole game of advertising and, and yet I feel like we have those defenses. We, we can recognize that we, it's just a matter that we have to think and put forth the effort. And I think that's so true of so much in life. Well, we've, we've gone full circle. We've covered a lot of territory. <laughs> I have no idea how much time we've taken. No, I, I, we're about two and a half hours oh right now. So. Thank you for listening to the Stay Loyal podcast. You can find the link to our YouTube channel, Spotify, and Apple Music in the description below. Thank you.